0: <laughs> and we're live with our 97th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey,
1: everybody. Uh, welcome back. Uh, it's going to be a fun one today. Uh, we are joined by Stefan and Brian. We'll get into introductions shortly. A few, yeah, they're Previous, both previous guests on the show, and I think everyone's got COVID, whatever hangover. So I'm not sure where we're going to go today, but it's going to be fun. Um, As far as announcements go, we intimated last week that we are going to host a Midsummer Nights con. Oh, yeah. Along with Stefan, who is here today. So we will talk a little bit about that. Um, That will be on Midsummer's night. Uh, Part of the trick is going to be figuring out what that date actually is. Uh, Somebody can look in the farmer's almanac or something (laughs) like that. Um, And and that's, that's when we'll host it is on Midsummer's night. So uh, we've got (laughs) some people lined up. Say that again, Stephen. It's the 24th of June. Oh, come on. I was going to make them work for it. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. We should talk about these things beforehand. (laughs) So (laughs) it'll be June 24th. Yes. (laughs) Um, so watch for announcements and for lineup there. We're still uh, solidifying everything, but it will be just short uh, short technical talks and all about application security and other stuff. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Um, outside of that, I think we are... Yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything else because it's the same day as it was last week when we had this. So outside of Brian and Stefan being here, which is making it special... But uh, Ken, is there anything else you wanted to bring up?
0: No, I'll just uh, briefly introduce both of these gentlemen, these fine gentlemen. Uh, And for those that are new to the show, Stefan and Brian and Seth and I all work together at one point. Um, uh, Like can totally vouch for how awesome they are. I think they've done so much public work that like. You probably heard, if not have heard of them, at least their work. Um, But I'm sure both like Stefan has spoken, Brian has spoken at a bunch of conferences, done a lot of work for the community. I think uh, one of my favorite things was Brian uh, working to unscrew the OWASP top 10, the last iteration with actual facts and data, which I can argue could be made. We need more of that these days. And then Stefan, who, um, oh, sorry. And on the Brian, and on Brian's, continuing down that path, he's an assistant professor at un, uh, Union 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 uh, I can't talk today. <laughs> <Thank you. Union> <laughs> University. <laughs> Oh my God! The assistant <laughs> press professor of community or computer science at Union University. I'm having a stroke today, guys. I apologize. A, a,
1: a, a community uh, involvement, I, a, like community, what? Like, oh my God! Uh, wow, Brian, oh, and, Brian, and, and and Brian I explain you what are, you
2: do. <laughs> oh my God!
0: This is not going to be a good one, is breathe.
2: it?
3: <laughs> oh, all right. I give up.
2: This um, is the uh, the second Monday of the week, right?
3: Uh, yeah, what, <laughs> what day is it? Now. What week is it? But Monday,
2: we're all Mondays. Does time even matter anymore? <laughs> no,
3: I mean,
0: really. Oh, so the Sam <laughs> Brian also contributed to to, oh, yeah. the, to Sam to Sam quite a bit. A was Sam project. So when it comes to like understanding threat modeling and building risk profiles and things like that. Brian's got a lot of experience. Same with Stefan. He is a practice lead at Trail of Bits. Um, has done a ton of awesome work. You've probably seen some of his public research around Kubernetes. Um, what was the latest one you had, uh, Stefan? There, there was something else you did publicly recently.
3: Yeah. So we we've done votes. That's what we talked about partially right. last time. Uh, that oh, was Zoom. Super interesting threat model uh, and and security review. Those are both public there. Um, and there's there's just we we. At Trail of Bits, we tend to do a lot of like infrastructure, core infrastructure, a lot of blockchain stuff, that that sort of thing now. So there's there's definitely a bunch of our uh, publications that are all around like Golang and, and that sort of stuff as well, too. So it's an interesting space.
0: Yeah, I mean, you guys are doing co- constantly like interesting research and I love the uh, you can sign up for the Trail of Bits um, newsletter, which I did Uh I don't know if uh, the rest, besides Stefan, if the rest of you are following that, but I love those little uh, updates, especially like uh, when y'all were working with Zoom, some public info around like engaging with Zoom and, and you guys provide that stuff. So it's really fun. Um, anyways, so point is uh, two awesome gentlemen um, and uh, you guys, thank you for joining the podcast and like we're going to pick your brain for the next hour. All right. So sounds great. Awesome. Seth, did you want to go over before we get into like threat modeling and and, and all of that? Did you want to talk a little bit, you and Stefan, about the Midsummer's <laughs> Night thing?
1: I don't know <laughs> if we used to talk night about it. Midsummer Nights Con. Yes. Well, just to, I, I mean it will be June 24th. I um, we're not quite ready to announce uh, keynotes outside of Stefan. He will be our you know initial keynote there. Um, and, I, you know, his his, his talk title was something, again, that I had to Google. So I, I, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Right? The Multician of Venice. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: this this started because Ken and I were, were just riffing on doing a series of talks. And Ken was like, "I it's fine, but I want you to do a history of software composition. And I have really um, wanted to yeah. have a conference on Midsummer's Night. I think it's a, a fun little holiday that, you know, you can... Uh, it, it's an interesting holiday, interesting things. I've always wanted to do it. And so when Ken asked me to do it, one of the things that I've always thought about is how Multics uh, did system composition and that sort of stuff. So it, it just, it went naturally for me to to go <laughs> the Multician of Venice. So
1: Sweet. Uh, it'll, it'll be, yes, it'll be a lot of that, right? Like, you know, so... Um, <laughs> No, it's going to be, I'm excited, right? Like, yeah, besides your talk, like, you know, the other people that we've got on it, Ken and I will do, you know, probably, it sounds like we'll, we'll fill a half hour with whatever ramblings we decide to, you know, jump on, um, whether that's secure code review or something else. Um, But we've got others that are, that are, have already committed, but we're just putting together the lineup now, um, yeah. I mean, basically just watch the space on on Twitter and we'll announce <laughs> it and get signups and everything going for it. So every, everyone will get it on their calendar. Um, and yeah, just try to host something that's very similar format to this, very low key and useful to people that are in the industry. Right.
0: Yeah. We're trying to get back to like what conferences were before like this isn't a money making in fact it's a money losing venture for us but <laughs> um but we're uh, trying to like it's invite only hand-picked talks like it's very uh artisanally crafted artisanally um,
1: crafted maybe summer nights
0: <laughs> yeah it's very hobbyist so back to the, like kind of like the roots uh of where we started less commercialization less yeah. influence more technical talks
3: yeah just interesting stuff uh very very lightweight no pressure to produce some something super flashy or anything and just people that work in maybe the less sexy portions of, of the industry but but things that are super important and super interesting but maybe aren't the ones that will always get the title grabber or always get the always get the talk slot because it's just not the it's not the hotness that everyone wants to hear about. It's not the the cool exploit, but it's, yeah. it's all interesting stuff and all things that we we should be listening to and and talking about, but we just don't necessarily. So, yep,
1: yep, and and very, that, I mean it all, almost leads into. Sorry, go ahead, Stephen. I was
3: just gonna say very long and drunken and absolute abstract, That's all.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, heck yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: awesome.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's a good, I, I mean, it's almost a good segue to kind of what we, you know, the reason that we had both of you come on today, right, uh, you know, the the overall topic that we wanted to address uh, during this episode um, of threat modeling, but, I, it, you know, to your point, Stefan, and to yours, Ken, like, I, I've always felt this, like, weird, I don't know, <sighs> Dichotomy, I I don't know, like I'm trying, I'm grasping for words here, right? Um, But when you go to information security conferences, like we've got the whole idea of the InfoSec rock stars and the stuff that they produce, um, the exploits and the bug bounty guys that just get all of the kind of, hey, look how cool this is that I was able to SSRF and take over, like pull someone's AWS keys and you're like, that's awesome. But on a day-to-day basis, the stuff that we do isn't necessarily, like that's just such a small percentage that it's really hard to get people excited about something like threat modeling, like secure code review, right? It, it's stuff that's hard and I think we could do it better and we can make it easier on people. Um, and so, it, I mean, that's the whole reason that we started with Absolute AppSec, but like conferences I've always felt have a dearth of really good low level talks like that because everybody wants to go and do, like they all wanna go do SQL injection or whatever else, right? So, anyway, that was my rant for the day. I'm done. Ken,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's not me it's just ranty and
1: like <laughs> ranty. out of I, it again. So. It's, it's it's the it's the it's the uh, COVID hangover. I guess is all we're gonna is what we're gonna refer to it as for the next you know six months. I guess. Yeah. Um, but let's let's talk threat modeling, like uh, specifically. Okay, so Brian, like he, you're quiet. We're going to talk all over you, I guess today. I don't know, but um, that would be a first. <laughs> that never happens, <laughs> yeah, and that never happens. Um, so OWASP Sam, right? Let's yeah. let's talk about about the relationship between OASP Sam and threat modeling. Um, and like, I think we know that they're separate, right? Like from just kind of a strict activity perspective, or like one dovetails into the other. But if you don't mind, kind of going into what where you see threat modeling fitting into the OWASP SAM process, um, and we'll start there.
2: So, I mean, yeah, I mean, SAM being the software assurance maturity model is, like, by far a superset of a bunch of activities. I mean, all the way from governance, where you're looking at policy and such, all the way to operations, where you're looking at patch management environments, that kind of stuff. Um, Threat modeling is absolutely in there. So you have it Um, It's primarily in the design business function in SAM Um, in terms of like there's threat assessment where you're looking at whether there's actually a threat model um, security practice in there or one of the substreams of threat assessment. So, I mean, threat modeling is actually, I mean, it is a relatively important but small subset of SAM overall. But threat modeling has been an interesting animal for years, um, I got turned down for a job once at a uh, large organization back in the early 2000s for not having formal threat modeling training when it didn't exist <laughs> in the and early 2000s. No threat yeah. modeling process for FedEx, so <laughs> wasn't sure what they had in mind at the time. But um, threat modeling's been something that recently, and I'm not entirely sure why, um, has gotten a decent head of steam. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah i like I always go back to the, kind of the whole assessment process like you know OS, sam and you know in general like a, we're looking at the you know software maturity model or like the system maturity model um but I always go back to kind of that mini risk assessment that uh, Ken mm-hmm. and I talk about in the course as far as you've got to prioritize right mm-hmm. and you don't know what to prioritize unless you have some sort of a formal methodology that tells you these are the threats these are the risks associated with my application, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily just what we think of it as coming in in there as kind of security practitioners, but what the business threats are that are associated with it. Because if we don't line that up, I like I I know we've all spent time spinning our wheels on portions of applications on systems that realistically the business could have just turned off with a switch, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't have affected anything, right? Okay. And that, that's where I, I continually go back to is. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at some like email sign up form or something like that. I'm like, okay, what's the real threat here? Does it make sense for me to spend half of my assessment time looking at some like out of the way form that you know really doesn't do anything as opposed to like the main authentication system, right? And so that that that's kind of where threat modeling bubbles up. And I think people are starting to recognize that more. but then i'm I'm like I'm not sure on like this whole formal methodology for doing threat modeling right because it seems like there's very distinct (laughs) um, practices in that area and one person's threat model is another person's waste of time and vice versa or hey all i care about is the number of records that are you know that are in this application you know it it becomes a very kind of subjective thing and so i think that it's really hard to classify what's going on there and how to actually perform a a realistic threat model Right. And I, yeah, yeah. threat
2: modeling is a really interesting animal. So there, there's a couple of points on it. One, and you've touched on this. This is one of the few times you can actually take people who have the knowledge of security controls and how systems work and actually merge that knowledge with the people who understand the business side of how the app works. There's very few other points in the entire process where those two can actually sit down and get together and figure out like what are the legitimate risks to the system from a security perspective. If we don't understand the business functionality and we don't understand the business risks of a particular system, there's a good chance we'll spend time on things that we don't really need to spend time on as you mentioned before. uh and if, but if we don't understand the business and that's really hard as like that third party assessor where you get brought in to do a threat model of a system, the hardest part of the whole thing is understanding what the system does, what data flows, what business functionality flows, all of that to try and build this form. And we're all again, doing it after the fact when, and yeah. it's fine to do it at that point, but in reality, it needed to be done before the design was ever finished. And that's the part that gets missed a lot. The other part of why threat modeling is so difficult is I used to draw diagrams with like um, the human side versus the computer side of things. So pre-coding, we have very minimal standards on machine-readable stuff. Yeah. So design documents aren't machine-readable. There, there's very little automation before you get into pre-coding, especially in the design side. It's much more of an art. So it's a lot harder to standardize threat modeling in that respect because it's very much still a human artistic capacity when we look at design. Um, we're getting better when we get into like cloud based stuff so we have more standards and structure and guidelines for things. but long before the cloud stuff there is i mean everything was so different um, that you had real trouble getting any structure to it,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah well okay so you know we've got that Stefan. like i i know you're you're doing assessments of you know core systems on the internet like uh, you know realistically a lot of applications um like where does threat modeling fit into your process right and like what how is it that you're trying to actually you know shimmy that in i i know from a a consultant perspective when i'm looking at mid to you know large size businesses like applications it's very much just kind of willy-nilly all right i'm gonna do like this kind of mini threat model based on what i know of the application but it's not this full-on you know extensive thing but i look at like votes right i know we had you on to talk about votes and some of the other like um like real deep dive stuff that you've done um at trail of bits over the last year you know and there's Quite a bit of threat modeling that goes into that. So describe your process, like how it is that you sell that, that you walk into a customer and do that sort of an activity, as opposed to uh, you know just rolling it into whatever else. Was
3: that for me? or?
2: Yeah, that's for
1: you.
3: All right, I missed like you right there.
2: four times. You no, know, I
3: mean, I, I also I, I ah, think crap. There's a few different things. <laughs> There's a few different things that that go on for for sales and whatnot. Like we do have a lot of customers just coming in asking for for threat models, right? People want to understand their design. They want to they want to have someone do the sorts of things that Brian and I do. I, I think the the other thing is that we run into many many folks who are maybe a little earlier in the process uh, for things they maybe shouldn't have a full code review. They maybe shouldn't have. Um, someone like really deep dive into things when they can throw everything out right now, but the design is is going to last longer there. And I think, I think the issue that uh, we see very frequently is that selling threat models is actually relatively easy. It's consuming the outputs from, from them and actually making sure that they're an impactful change uh, Mm -hmm. is an important thing. It, It also harkens back to what you said earlier about like, is threat modeling a formal process? I uh, a friend of mine, Logan, runs uh, Rogue Dynamics, and they have a, a podcast called Tear Lines. And I was talking with him because he mentioned threat modeling, threat assessment, that sort of thing. And uh, it, I was it it spurred an interesting thought. Like we don't actually have a maturity model for threat modeling. Like there is a there is a non formal threat modeling uh, process. Like. It's kind of asking, what's the worst that can happen with any feature? You know, like devs can do that. They don't need anything super super formal. And You can do rapid risk assessments internally. Like, what's the confidentiality confidentiality impact for this? Or you can do STRIDE or those those sorts of things. Like you can you can progress up the chain. So I don't think I don't think selling threat modeling is difficult. It's it's figuring out where it fits into your processes. Which parts are self serve? Which parts are are serviced? By your, by external vendors, that sort of thing. There, there's different levels that you can you can do. I don't think it has to be, you know, it's a formal process that only only a select few do. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Well, I I I, I think it goes to your your point about it depends on what the what the out what the desired outcome of the threat model is, right? Um, so like. You know, can I know looking at code um, when you're given a new feature, that's one of the things that we always talk about is hey, get a couple people's eyes on it to basically say what's the worst that can happen. The dev will tell you, but also like the security guys will have some ideas, but everybody's everybody's view is different. And being able to take that and say, all right, this drives exactly what we're looking at from a code review perspective is different than all right, this is going to be pushed into the cloud or whatever else, right? Like uh so. Yeah, so I, I, that to your point, right? It's different based on what you, what the desired outcome is. Um, okay, so in to go back a little bit, just so we've got like people understand exactly what it is if they're listening to this for the first time. Uh, <laughs> Stefan, you you mentioned stride, you mentioned dread. Uh, like, you, do you want to explain what those are really quick before we like just sh- short like primers on it? Rapid risk assessment. No, like, let's I don't some No, no. no. <laughs> Google. You know, go Google Done. those terms. You Google everything I say. No. Uh, so, so
3: stride is, is basically uh, a series of. Uh, they're not really.
1: Maybe, oh wait wait wait. Maybe we should ask the professor. Sorry. Yeah, ask no, Brian. Brian.
3: Cool. he's going to look it up. He's googling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The I'm helping.
2: Decisive steps in a specified direction. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's, that's what you mean,
3: meant, right? I, I think. I think for me, the the progression is like the the like a level zero, if you're looking at it, something similar to hunt maturity model for threat modeling, you'd have level zero, it's like no or minimal threat modeling. Uh, maybe level one is is kind of like, oh, we had a previous, a previous security issue um, and we wanna make sure it doesn't exist. So how do we, like what controls do we have in place to make sure that that doesn't exist? And when I say control, I mean like a safeguard, a checkpoint, something like that, some CNSSI style, uh, like definition of, of control. And then, Level two is what, what I'm thinking here is like stride, uh, those sorts of things. Stride is like what? T- uh, spoofing, tampering, repudiation, uh, integrity, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but basically it's a, it's a series of things like what happens if someone spoofs this? What happens if someone tampers with it? What happens if they replay it, whatever it is? Um, and as you go through, you, you ask a series of questions, you talk about those sorts of things. Brian and I obviously do a different type of threat modeling um very frequently very control focused very like asking questions about data integrity i tend towards nist 800 154 um but how long into this were we we made 29 minutes apparently um before i mentioned <laughs> before in oh god! <laughs> i
1: wondered yeah ken can, 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 owe, can owe me 20 bucks now exactly
3: <laughs> yeah. but like i i Stride is is good if you want to have a simple thing, a simple set of questions that you can a- ask. Um, I had a client recently that I I used uh, includes No Dirt, which is a, a healthcare specific uh, threat modeling process. So you can go through and, and ask them about repudiation as well as non repudiation and data integrity and those sorts of things there. So it's it's basically a series of questions, a series of thoughts, a prompts really. Uh, obviously, it's a little more technical than that, but it's basically a way of, of framing certain attacks and then trying to describe what the system either does with those attacks or something that prevents those attacks from happening, if that makes sense. It's an attack-focused vector. So, Ryan, do you have different thoughts on it?
2: No, I mean, that's pretty much, I mean, Stride came out of Microsoft's work for trying to figure out how to improve their security. Um, Same with the Microsoft Threat Modeling tool. And for some people, Stride is just right. And for some people, Stride's still heavy. Um, the thing that that what it is good to remember is Stride and the Threat Modeling Tool came out of an OS-level threat modeling. Mm-hmm. So sometimes for some people, it's a little bit more difficult to get those to work for like web apps or serverless or something like that, because that's not what they were originally designed around. Um, we also mentioned Dread. Dread is interesting. I've still seen a few people still use Dread, even though Microsoft tried to make it disappear quietly over 10 years ago. Because they found that they just got too many inconsistent results with Dread, that they tried replacing it with Stride, but it has the internet has not let it die.
3: In fact, people combine them. They say Stride slash Dread, so it's very common to to see the two of them lumped together as if they're just one thing when they're really actually not only different, but they were like one was meant to replace the other.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of all the you know the the threat models that I've done. You know, it's it's been a few years since I've been really involved in like a huge threat modeling project, right, for an organization, right, embedded in it on a team that's building out, you know, a series of questions and trying to classify all of their different products against you know a specific methodology in order to classify okay, we know that this is the highest priority or the highest mm-hmm. risks of every application that we own. So we, we we need to classify all of like most or more work towards that application versus the other ones. Um, and and I think that's where people struggle. So, I, I mean, Ken, I know you're at, you know, GitHub slash Microsoft slash the board right now. So tell me a little bit about what your, like, I mean, do you get involved in the threat models over there? Um, How, like how extensive are they? Or is it just like the mini ones that we've talked about from a code review perspective?
0: More, I can answer the last question the easiest. That's more the latter. It's more like a, not a full on threat model. In fact, we're just now building out checklist. I just contributed last week to a checklist of like just basic questions that, um, and by the way, Stefan, I'm going to put Ken Toller's question up here. And I'm answering that him again. too. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, yeah. So anyways, mini risk assessments for like code review. And then like, because Brian mentioned pretty early on in this podcast that, you know, he, that he's seen sort of a resurgence where people are caring about this now, um, anecdotally just from like the couple other companies that are that i've talked to that are similar to github and our situation is the same which is we have like more people are breaking out of them the it's not just about breaking out of the monolith but it is about like there being new apps instead of just new features in a monolith that get added to pretty frequently so like more so basically like less additions to the monolith and more of that work going out to like a Golang app or a Node app or something that isn't like, (laughs) I see somebody in the background, a Ruby monolith. Um, Yeah, for those listening and can't see, that was a cool little, I love it. Max, my son does it to me too. He comes in all the time. Um, Where's it going with that? Anyways, just like um, because of these new apps coming online, we have to figure out pretty quickly like what do we care about? Because I can't do a line-by-line code review of every app. Mm-hmm. um so I'd like to in order to focus on the important bits and also just think about giving it advice before we even start building that which is another thing you said Brian
3: mm-hmm.
0: which was ideally this isn't done after things are developed you know and i think that's really where i'm seeing a resurgence on our side which is new stuff's going to get developed we, we're now luckily in a position we've set ourselves up as a team to get brought into the mix right away before stuff gets developed um and you know again like I don't want to go too lengthy into this but we instead of go having appsec be like come to us when you're developing a new app what we did was say hey let's open up a generic security review so that all of our departments GRC cert secops whoever has input into like this new thing you're going to build including appsec and all of us have to do our reviews and so that's get, get gotten that in front of us quicker but Again, because of the, the pace of development and the team size, even though it's a pretty big AppSec team, we have to just focus on like what bits mm-hmm. matter the most. And that's where this comes into play for us. Long-winded answer, but that's,
3: that's why.
2: Okay. I, it's interesting how the process has changed. When we used to do waterfall development, you spent months in design. And that facilitated having a security person show up and be like, "All right, let's walk through this, and you could take your time and you could hammer things out because you had time, and, and it was designed that way." And now we've changed to we almost don't have design anymore. There's yeah. a lot of times where some they'll go down to the an agile model to the level I've had developers be like, "What's design? We don't design." And so, like, you have threat models play different. Different roles depending on when they are in the process and to what level you go to. I've helped companies build a threat model process for agile, where they went into the every time we create a user story, let's change it up a little bit to say where only you know the right people can access this, or I can only see my own reports, or. Just a little bit of a tweak to the language to try and imply that you have to have some kind of security control in place to make sure that the feature doesn't get abused. There, I mean, there's definite benefits for that. The problem is, from my perspective, your trade-off is you don't have an overall understanding of the system. You get a lot of tiny points in time for tiny little pieces of functionality, but you don't have the overall understanding of risk of the system, much less, even larger beyond that, of that system with other systems it touches. So it's not like you can't do that kind of threat modeling in no other type. And, and I've run into that where I get concerned because people have tiny insulated perspectives of little threat models for individual functions, but they don't understand. They lose out on the these can be chained together thing.
0: Yeah, they, so that's, yeah, that's certainly been a functionality. Like when new feet, when new features get added, um, I have seen that where it's like, um, especially with our specific authorization case being so like so complicated that it's easy to, and we've, we've tried to build as many checklists as we can, um, like, that you know for instance your controller has to inherit from one of these controllers and that if you're creating an api endpoint here's all the things we in hapsec have to check for we try to make that somewhat transparent but honestly it's more useful if that's in the developers minds these days um for out uh, of that point we're kind of like almost like mechanics just checking each one of the uh the things on our items or on our yeah one of the items on our checklist and you know, trying to give the developers a real sense of what they should be caring about. um, It's, it's a weird, it's a weird situation just cause like, again, it's, it's the pace of development and it's, yeah, it's needing the developers to kind of be like aware and cognizant of, like you said, the interconnected bits there, especially when it comes to authorization, which is super fucking hard in our specific situation. So
3: it has to be explicit. Now you curse. I was trying not to curse. Uh, yeah. I- and uh, I've been doing so well. And then you fuck
0: <laughs> I know. I'm the worst. <laughs> now
3: I, you know. I do think it's specification versus discovery. Like I, I said in our project comments here. Like it, you know, Dan and I have a talk Dan Guido at, at Trail of Bits and I have a, a talk on like what blockchain gets right. And there's not a lot. I, I don't wanna I don't want it to sound like there's the you know, there's a panacea over here or it's it's utopian. Like there's a lot of bad stuff. I said stuff, not shit. Uh, there's a lot of that stuff in blockchain. You said <laughs>
1: both. yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but I do think one of the things that blockchain gets right is they understand that specification is required very frequently. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just an API it's designed by contracts, that sort of thing. Or they go through and do like full verix or, you know, K-Labs or any of that sort of stuff specification. I think a lot of times, and this is that whole like left or right of boom, sort of where do you do this thing? But I do think the earlier you can move it, the less problems you'll have later, of course, and specific- like formal specification or even semi-formal specification helps with that sort of stuff. But that's a lot of work and no one wants to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, and I would almost argue this <laughs> to, to Brian's point about waterfall versus agile, that like, we don't build requirements really anymore, right? Like we, we don't actually go and architect out a system very well, uh, like like I saw 15 years ago, when I'd walk into an organization, and they would have all of these documents about this is how we're going to build this application. this is the, these are the frameworks that we're going to target. This is, you know, these are the problems we're trying to solve. Now it's days, it's, hey, it's agile. So just go build a UI. And then we'll figure it out as we go, because the whole MVP style thing, which, you know, we do get software quicker. But on this, on the flip side, like, we don't have a lot of a thought that goes into it before we've got a product like like realistically and so uh, like it's almost like we're like we're just missing the whole like structure formal structure around it mm-hmm. and so we're designing threat modeling in these kind of use cases like you're talking about evil u- user stories Yeah uh, Stefan, you brought that up right like that's definitely what brian's suggesting as well um but I know when I get in and they start talking to architects of systems, like at big companies, right, it's, it's, it's very much a, okay, have you even thought about like AAA and CIA? You know, I'm like, you know, let's leave Stride aside. Let's actually talk about core information security, like pillars that are out there. And if you haven't thought about authentication, guess what? like we're going to have to go back to the drawing board on a lot of this because it's, you know, we, we're going to have to shim it in. Um And so like I almost fall back to those when I'm doing a threat, you know, model or a threat assessment nowadays, as opposed to using something like stride because I, because they've, they've never heard the term auditing before, right? Like in terms of logging, right? I'm like, no, no, no. You really have to log everything, right? Like I have to know what your user did in order to tell people that or have any sort of assurance that you have non-repudiation and all the other things that go into it. Um, And so like, like like that's where I've seen the industry kind of move is they're trying to shoehorn threat modeling into agile and it's not working super well. And maybe that's the backlash that we're having.
0: I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you my specific case is similar to what you're saying, trying to like mold the two or merge the two together so that like, so for instance, we're working, I have like this list of new require, new application requirements. And those are things that everybody's supposed to kind of walk through. And the idea is hopefully eventually it becomes very much like listo where, you know, like a, a project board card gets created. If you say I do authorization, um, And like, I don't know, I'm maybe I'm doing, I'm not, I don't have like unit tests for instance, like for negative test cases. Well, a project card could be created and a task issued out um, saying that, you know, before this goes live or at some point soon, we need those tests. So that's one thing. But then like the idea is from that too, we get a picture hopefully of like what security controls haven't been implemented, those that have been implemented and a little bit about what the system's doing, but that's not where it ends. Cause it has to be like also in tandem with that, a sort of kickoff call about what you're building. Um And ideally that has more than just, like I said, the AppSec team, and we can all get kind of an idea of what's that's like the utopian dream basically is like, you know, mine anyways, is to be able to just be like, all right, here's a list of requirements, things you need to know up front. Um, what you're going to need to do with building your app. Uh, Let's go, let's talk, let's walk through your architecture uh, docs and um, answer any questions you have. And then we'll ask our questions. Like that's sort of where we're going. Um, I don't know. I, I, this is again, going back to what Brian said, he was like, I think you kind of intimated that like there is maybe misunderstandings around what a threat model is. And then like, like I'm sure I'm sure Stefan, you come across this in consulting and Seth, you too. I'm sure you like get called in. Hey, we want to we want a threat model. And then you get in there, you're like, no, that's not what you're you know, this isn't a threat model. Like that's not what you really yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure um how often that happens to you all, but I'm curious I am curious. I'm sure the people listening are curious.
3: I, I think I think the difference is that like what we can, like what Brian and I do end up doing in threat models very often is, is probably a few different processes that clients very often should be doing themselves. So for example, one of the things Brian and I always ask is do you have a data classification matrix? Do you understand what every single component in your system actually does? Do you have a process for assessing the risk of every single system from business impact analysis to change in security impact, uh, impact level, whatever it is like, all, all the various processes, we group them together in threat modeling because it's easier to, to describe the clients and and say we're only doing one process and we're going to give you one report. But in reality, we're doing several different things that, uh, you know, an, an information security officer or an information security function within a, within a, a system, uh, within an organization should probably be doing. So it's sh- it's like risk risk. Analysis, risk acceptance, awareness training—you know, exos- like tabletop exercises or those sorts of things. Like we do all of these things during our threat models, or we we try to cover as many of those as we possibly humanly can during our threat models. And then we we end up with uh, one report that we try to lump everything together, and it's usually huge. And you know, you can see that there's two public ones that we've done at Trail of Bits: uh, the Kubernetes one and the votes one. And they're, they're rather large, dense documents. And if you look at the votes one, there's one, there's one finding that has like six or seven recommendations as, associated with it because I didn't want to write up six findings. It was easier to just say, your processes need to be reviewed, right? So I, I think what we lump as threat models is mostly because consulting is hard and it's hard to tell people that we're going to do like 70 different things that you actually should be doing as an ISF but aren't. Yeah. So, you, know, I
2: mean, you could The way we do threat models is comprehensive to the level that I could almost fill out a SAM worksheet from them Yeah. by the time we're done. Because we'll get into the, hey, how do you manage an incident response? We don't get deep into it. We just say, do you have something to help manage that? Do you have something that sets baselines for any of the machines or the pods or the whatever you're using in your architecture? Do you know what it is before you deploy it? And then do you know what it is after you deploy it? Because the app has to run on trusted setup. So it, do that. And then like Stefan mentioned, we've got, um, talk about like, do your developers know what they're doing? Are they given any guidance? Are they given any help? You know, do you have guidelines for them? Um, do they have bastion host to access or is this all on a flat network with a single VLAN and, you know, everybody and their dog has an account and we don't track anything? You know, all of that all matters in terms of the security of an application. It's not purely just the code that's written.
0: Oh, it's absolutely not. It's also like the the co- the coder the I don't know if it's would you yeah we classify it as code code that like spins up the um like you said the uh, infrastructure bits. Like just this morning, I was reviewing some Terraform configs because it out of an AppSec review the first part of a review is what we just talked about, which is like the threat modeling discovery. Well, the bits that kind of resemble threat modeling, like discovery and all that stuff. And um, anyways, like that was a part of it was we wrote up individual findings, like, hey, this this uh, individual AWS component needs XYZ. And so, you know, we got tagged on, okay, here's the fix for it, Terraform configs. And that's where it's, it's come. Like when I started at GitHub, we we primarily just did code reviews and that's it. Um, But as we've just like expanded technology wise um, and our team has grown our out of necessity uh, we've had to review everything that connects to including the infrastructure. Like if it's using something in AWS or Azure or whatever. So we we actually have a new team member on the team whose specialty is Azure who came over from Microsoft. so, yeah, it's it's super important to us. It's a change from like two and a half years ago when I started.
2: Well, and there's there's a place for like the stuff that Stefan and I do is it's not every, you would never do it to every system. No. You wouldn't do it to every, I mean, it's for the high risk. It's for the people that need a higher level of assurance of what they're working on within their system. We wouldn't. This is not something like I'd write up as a process and hand it to an organization and say, "Do this on every app you have."
1: I see, but we've all been at those organizations where it becomes mandated, right? Like, oh, we're doing a risk or we're doing a threat model, right? Like, and this is the other thing is people have a hard time between threat modeling and risk assessment. That, to step into your point, right? Mm-hmm. So everything gets gets rolled under threat modeling, um, but the the rapid risk assessment from Mozilla here is a is a great resource to actually like help you classify that cuz I you know I like I, I don't know like I go back to my time at the bank when they were just figuring out like security the security team was new and they're like oh we're going to test all of our applications every single year and I'm like okay this is the third year that we've looked at a mortgage ca- calculator online that runs in javascript and somebody spent like 40 hours I'm like why are we doing this right like Cause there was no like profile up front as far as what's the risk to the organization. Oh, well there isn't any, right. But no one had ever made that call. And so oh. we had to go build out our own process. What?
0: How, how many times in our course that we give about give, you know, teaching people a source code review and not, uh, should, do, do we get the people that are like, wait, how are we supposed to do this methodology? We've got like two or three people and we have about three. I mean, literally this is the number that someone dropped to me it was 3000 applications and two people actually reviewing and them is the manager. What the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. no, like I'm what, what I, I said, how are I was more polite, obviously, but I was like, and that wasn't, it wasn't at them. It was about the organization. I'm like, what how, I said, what's the prior, yeah. you know, we had asked them before, like, what's the prioritization that you guys use on like what apps you will assess. And they're just like, well, the business says everything's important. I was like, <laughs>
2: <laughs> that means Look, nothing is.
0: maybe we should just yeah. put this course aside for a second and let's just
3: address this <laughs> head on. We have a course on, on, like, on all the, you know, Brian used to call it eating your InfoSec vegetables. Uh, I know that that title has been used by other folks. Um, but I, I do, I would love to teach like a one day crash course on like, all, these are all the policies that you should have. You know, one of the things that I do very frequently at Trail of Bits is just walk blockchain companies through this is, these are all the policies that you should be following, even if it's NYCRR 500 or something very lightweight, these are the things you should be doing. And yes, it includes like, when do I alert someone, <laughs> you know, like, you have to know this. You're gonna run into it, so you might as well do it now. You know, uh, yeah, like
0: the basic like thing, like hygiene and and things yeah. you should have in place. And I'm not crapping on anyone. I'm just saying, no. like, it's if you don't pri- if you don't prioritize, like, you can't be effective at your job. I don't understand how. It's just a, what Seth said. It's just if you're like reviewing the same JavaScript thing that someone oh. kind of half ass put together a while ago, and like. Now they're, you know, for some reason now it's in scope every year for some third party. Yeah. Like you're doing your program injustice and spending your money and resource and in a place that doesn't make any sense. And yeah, so well, it, it's bu- risk assessment.
3: It's it's business risk versus system risk, right? Like, like yeah. if it's, you know, the, the example I always use is one that Brian and I actually ran into. We had two systems. They both had XSS. One was like a kiosk in the in the lunchroom that was like it it wasn't even attached to the network it was literally never updated and uh like they would they would update it meant like by sneaker net so someone would come over and like bring a a, you know usb thumb drive or something where they take it out and then there was one that's like public facing website and it's it's obvious after the fact but if you're just looking at there's two xss and you have no context around where they exist what they do etc it's very difficult to say I should fix this one versus that one because the, the lunch menu one might actually look really bad in situ until you realize that like it can't be, it, you can't actually affect this vulnerability because who are you going to access yourself? Like, you know, there's literally no way that you can, you can do a transitive network attack there you know, so understanding yeah. that's important. And I, I wrote NIST 830 style, uh, like split in, in the chat here, but it's, it's true. You need that, That sort of dichotomy between a system risk and a business risk and understand those two.
1: Yeah. One question. I feel feel like you're asking a lot And, and Brian, at least you're like teaching people about this. Right. But like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, okay. On the bug bounty side as well. Right. Like how many times do we see stuff come in from security people? And it's, it's always justifying like, Oh, this is critical risk. This is critical risk. I'm like, dude, it's XSS in a mortgage calculator. No one, you know what I mean? And it like only reflects on, it, I, like, honestly, take a chill pill. This could be a low risk, right? Just because it's XSS and everybody's talked about it for years. Again, that that's what we run into in the space. And I've seen multiple reports from, you know, you know people that I've worked with in the past, people that like other organizations that they like, there's no, Okay, so we're getting away from threat modeling, but there's no standard on what the risk of any of this is, right? You can go to CWE, you can go, you know, you can go rated in CVSS, but everybody does it differently, and so that's the hardest thing about, uh, like, being a security professional. In my in my view, is actually giving things risk that is relevant to the business, and that's where we provide our value. And yet, I see it screwed up so often. I don't know how to teach people. Or give people the ability to to actually take that into account and really work it through, because they just want to assign it with a label and move on. So I, I mean, so, trying to yeah. take something what?
0: that's sometimes that's mostly subjective and make it objective, and uh, yeah,
1: well, you,
3: you can't. It's not easy. I don't think this is this is the common complaint about CBSS, right? It's mm-hmm. it's because if you look at if you watch full disclosure or you look at NVD or anything. Like, and, or you look at someone's resume even, and this is not a knock against people who hunt for CVEs, but you know, you, you very often see something that's like a CVSS of 10, or it's like an eight or, you know, something very high. And you look at it and you're like, I've never heard of this software. I don't think like, I understand what they're trying to relay, but it's, it's very different to, it's very difficult to contextualize that risk for something that like, should I worry about this? Like, where does this thing actually exist? Like how, like, And we, at our last company that we all worked at together, we constantly had discussions about like, what does adjacent mean? What does network mean? Like, is this actually affected by a network position versus an adjacent position? And that sort of discussion is good. However, in in like, without context, you can't just say like, unless unless you're so specific of like, this exists on this server with these specifications and you make it actually objective because you relay all the contextual information. It's just like, Everything, like everything I don't like is escalation of privilege. Like, <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, I, I mean that, that one, I don't know, like, you know, when I get bored, which is not very often, but I love like looking at the CBSS scores and how they're generated because every single time I disagree, right? Like, I'm like, no, you're full of shit, right? Like, you agree? With no, that. no, not yours, not no. yours. I agree with yours, of course. <laughs> but like it, the majority of those CDEs that come out, I'm like, Okay, you found one instance at one company, and I'm like, no, like that does that does not equate to a nine. I'm sorry, right? Like yeah. this is custom software somewhere. I, like it very rarely is it above. Like for the organization itself, maybe it's an eight, but like for the internet at large, that CVE is like a four or a two, and that's yeah, the whole contextual is what we're missing, which goes back to the threat modeling that we're talking about, right? Yeah. So how do you teach people or how do you, yeah, how do you actually convey that to people that are making those classifications? Like I'm looking at Brian specifically because he's you know, supposedly molding our youth at this point. But like, how is it that you, that, you, that you bring this into relevance for students?
2: I mean, a big part of it is making sure that, I mean, for humans, we can understand context. Yeah. mindset. It's really being open to thinking through those things. We have a tendency, especially in development, that we simply think through this is the positive path. I have a goal. I have a target. I need to make sure something works. And it's hard enough, in, especially in today's technology stacks, just to get the dang thing to work once. And it's not like you don't want to introduce a bunch of variability where you're like, well, what if I messed with, messed with it? in the default's like, and I've got students that are like, I, c- I don't want to touch it again because it worked once. And, and and I'm afraid it won't work again. And, and it works here, but if I check it out of GitHub over on this other machine, it doesn't work. And I don't know why, and it stresses me out. And I was like, welcome to being a developer. This is the sure, next yeah. ten years of your life if you choose this path. <laughs> but it it's really just having... Having enough knowledge and enough mindset to think through things in an other than purely happy butterflies, rainbows path of I have this goal to achieve and I've achieved it and I'm done. Yeah, I loved it back in the day when we would when I was getting into more testing, we get into capability testing, which was different than purely functional testing or non-functional testing because capability wasn't just does this do what I want it to do? But what else does this code actually do? And that's usually when somebody manages to find a vulnerability is because they've actually found capabilities that your code has that you never really intended for anybody to use for another purpose. Yeah. Yeah, you're,
1: you're getting into to fuzzing and full test suites and,
2: yeah. And we've known about these for, what, 15, 20 years? And we're still barely scratching the surface of them? Well, yeah, it's all agile's faults, right? You know, because we have no like actual. I, I have a, a love hate relationship with agile. I mean, I've tried to, to get back in the coding in that environment, and I can't stand it. <laughs>
3: so, <laughs> I, I was an agile dev, I think, and in, in trail of bits to use is agile. I think that the difference that we have is that, uh, I, I have a product manager, he he collects. Specifications as part of an inception. He goes through and does like he basically. His name's Matt Reinhardt. Uh, he's a uh, you know he goes through and does all those sorts of things. He he gathers client expectations, client requirements, and everything, and then we do tasking and and stories out of those sorts of things. And I I think that's the thing that's so frequently missing is that there's no there's no I hate to say it this way there's no adult in the room. Uh, putting together a process and making sure that the inmates aren't running the asylum, you know? Um, And it's, agile is fine if you're a small team and and you don't, you're kind of, it's a more fertile, uh, like, fecund area that you're trying to grow, right? You're working on something new or whatever. But if you're you're a mature organization, you do need a product manager who's going to gather specifications and processes and help translate those into stories and tasks and that sort of thing, so... I mean, it's just, it's 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 unrealistic to think that you can just tell people like, make me an app that does X and they're going to come up with X when in fact you meant that that also includes all the letters before X. Because those are obvious things to you, but it's not obvious to someone who like, isn't maybe a subject matter expert, you know? Yeah. So,
1: yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I I still go back to the, you know, how do we how do we help others get to the point that they're doing it, well that they're doing service to threat modeling to risk mm-hmm. assessment um like i you know i i know we have that classification then that's in OASAM sam as far as like okay this is where your threat modeling is right um but but how do you how do you share that with someone outside of just giving them documentation and letting them run with it right like yeah. <laughs> How do you teach that? I, I don't know. How do you teach context, Brian? Come on. Like, give me an easy answer.
2: I mean, and, and the other problem we run into is we don't scale well. Because most of threat modeling still at this point is still very human-driven behavior.
3: Oh, my gosh. It's, it's, it's brutal. 100-page documents.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you our template's like 60 pages long. Yeah, our, our, our current related,
3: a trail of bits is 65 pages long.
2: Jeez. sad in its own respect. People don't like super long documents like that. I don't, I don't blame them. That's part of the reason why Seth, I think threat modeling's really, really struggled to take hold as like a first class citizen in security processes is because it is not something that like you can say, Hey, here's a five bullet point checklist. You're now a threat modeling expert. Go at it. Yeah. And because, I mean, there's stuff that, like, the reason why Stefan and I threat model well together is we have a fairly diverse background. We're very different. Between each other. Yeah. and But we can, our wavelengths align, but they're quite different. So I'll find stuff that he hadn't thought of, and he'll find stuff that I would have never have dreamed of. But it's purely based on both of our 15, 20 years base of experience and different technologies and frameworks and jobs. Mm-hmm. and and it's tough to do within an environment like we so so
1: yeah so are you saying that like basically until someone has experience there's no hope
2: no i'm just saying that you're not going to find certain things <laughs> i mean there, there's a base level of stuff that you can say like hey you know make sure there's some core things are you logging this here like how mm-hmm. would you know somebody messed with this stop making assumptions and like keep asking the questions until you can get down to that nitty gritty answer. Cause we'll find a lot of times that it's just like, oh, we'll, we'll know if somebody messes with something and nobody asks how, like, how would you know if somebody was in there messing with those values or those attributes? How do you know they're the same as what you intended to write to the database? This
3: this also, though, there's there's the opposite side of this, is when you're doing risk assessment processes, what is the likelihood of occurrence versus the likelihood of discovery versus the likelihood of exploitation? And, yeah. and that's the other set of weeds that people don't like to get into. Brian and I- well,
1: it's, for- it's subjective.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. well and we make a super general likelihood. We just call it likelihood because it's really complex to legitimately think through all of the details.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I don't know, like, and and I and I get the rap, rapid risk assessment approach that Mozilla is coming out with because they're trying to at least give people something that they can wrap their heads around quickly, right? Um, and I mean, we try to do the same thing in the course, is like, all right, at the very least, like think about what can go wrong, right? It doesn't have to be everything, but at the very least, talk to the developers, talk to the business and say, what's the worst thing that can happen with this application? And if that's like, okay, you know, 1% of the pop, you know, 1% of their user base gets a pop-up, guess what? That's probably not a huge thing. You lose hundreds of millions of dollars. All right, that's where you should focus your effort, right? Um, And so like, I get that portion, but like, I I still struggle with those like, context and teaching people like to really think through likelihood, exploitation, mm-hmm. like where something sits. Um like it sounds very easy to us that have been in the industry for a while and seen lots of applications, but to a you know a, a new employee that you know this is their first job in security, they walked into the security team and you're like Hey, well, threat uh, you know threat modeling is pretty easy. Here's you know uh, Microsoft threat modeling tool. Go threat model this application. Like that just has failure to me written all over it yeah. because they don't have that experience. Yeah. And so, like, where where do you give them that experience? How do you get them up to speed on that um, in a, a less than you know twenty year career? I, I I just I don't know how that's possible. So teach me. It, Brian? It, Stefan? It, it's similar to
3: testing, right? Like a man, a man having a fully fledged application and then coming back and being like, hey, newbie, go write some unit tests for this because we, we didn't write unit tests. But mm-hmm. everyone at the company knows how this is supposed to work. So don't worry. It's fine. But go write some unit tests. <laughs> like,
1: it, I think we've all been there with applications. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's what we do to interns, though, right? Like, <laughs> that's why it's they go. Like, <laughs>
3: like, but we, sh- we sh- and I, I'm not advocating for test driven development I think that's another it's own special case of hell and torture but I am saying that some level of specificity up front and some level of understanding of design intent whether that's designed by contract actual specifications having someone like you know a product manager on your team collecting requirements any of those sorts of things you need those up front it's, it's just yeah. otherwise you're trying to play catch up after the fact and it's just incredibly painful
1: Yeah. 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 I think the more I see threat modeling, the more I see like, or the more I think about it, the more I think it's, I mean, it's like anything, right? Like we always talk about pushing left, even though I kind of hate the term now, but like that, that's what we have to do with it. If it's not happening around the same time as we're doing the architecture of an application, we're going to miss stuff. Let's do it. Yeah, it's too late. It's just like you know, the assessment work that we do. Like, if we're assessing code, we're building unit tests, we do it after the fact, we're gonna miss stuff. It's just the that is the reality that we live in. And so yeah, I don't know. Like I I still encourage people to do it, right? Like it still makes sense to go and risk assess something, especially from a business perspective, um, after the fact, if that's the last place that you can do it, but I know I'm gonna miss stuff and I know that like we're not going to have a big enough team. The person that designed it or chose that framework didn't necessarily think about all the risks that go into it. And all of a sudden you have ASN.1, you know, issues with the library, yeah, like that kind of stuff all falls into place. Right. So
3: I, I think it's holistic. It's like when clients ask me if they should fuzz or they should do unit tests. And it's like, well, th- those aren't mutually exclusive, Like right? Unit tests are tr- attempting to show some sort of design intent. We expect it to do X, Y, and Z whereas fuzzing is supposed to dis- to discover the edges you didn't necessarily think of and you can i'm saying fuzzing but symbolic execution can be used here abstract interpretation property testing which is kind of the 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 love child of of fuzzing and unit testing but there's, there's all sorts of things there that you can do i'm probably lagging at the moment aren't i but oh no uh, no, no you're fine okay. but yeah i mean the, there's a there's several different things that you should do and it's a holistic process it's not like we did risk assessment. Now we're done. Like, no, there's a whole level of like, I can risk assess one app. Like I can find XSS in the mortgage, the mortgage calculator, let's say. But like, yeah. that's not interesting. You see it in the chat in, on Absolute AppSec. I have XSS in there, but what else can I do? Maybe the mortgage calculator is loaded into a larger website. And now hmm. I can suddenly add myself to your mortgage yeah. and then take out a line of equity. That's what's interesting. The XSS itself is uncontextualized is bullshit. I can yeah. now because Ken did, but uh, like, it, but the actual contextualized risk is what's actually interesting. Also, Brian, I am so sorry because you're not using earpods and your your kids are home. But
2: anyway, I, <laughs> <laughs> but not hear you.
3: But but anyway, it's like it's the contextualized risk. XSS in, in mortgage calculator. Who cares? XSS on a larger banking application. Where everything is is JavaScript, and I can I can maybe call a function to do something interesting. That's cool. That's where it becomes interesting. The cyber physical kill chain, if you want to use a bunch of buzzwords, is <laughs> the yeah. cool part.
1: But okay, so and that goes back to like this whole overall process that we have of assessing our applications, right? Um, I, it's very rare that I've run into an organization that runs more than one threat model on like on an, on an application, mm-hmm. right? Even if they do it on a yearly basis, it's like, oh, well, we did that last year. Here are the answers to that question. And then they move on. Um, not taking into account that, hey, the environment changed or some of the other things. And so unless you've got some sort of a process to capture that on the back end, like you're testing, uh, you could struggle with what's actually, what the actual threat to that application is.
3: I think Brian and I have worked at two organizations together that did it well. One was a government organization and they obviously had, they had like a good group. Of, I'm sorry.
0: Time out. a government. You just used a government organization as like a good example of something. <laughs>
3: yeah. I think government, like government has good processes at times. They, they might be that, you know, like say what you will, but at times government can have very good processes. They also can have the like, no, no, you can't move your desk. That's like, that's someone else's function. I got written up for that too. So it's like,
0: you know. twice if the government's making you say this, (laughs) Stefan.
3: I'm not under duress. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But no, but they, they had a good process for like business impact analysis, you know, that. And then the other was a large hedge fund that Brian and I worked at. They had a, but they literally had a whole group that was, separate from grc that was separate from risk analysis or like assessments and everything and they literally sat there and all they did was uh, like apply like business impact analysis and change in security impact level and that's all they did literally all they did all day and they were great at it but those are the like that's the level of investment that you have to make
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know which is hard and not everyone can do it yeah <laughs> i love how seth is like
2: so, just <laughs> like you're digging this hole deeper, I was trying to climb <laughs> out of here. <laughs> I was trying to. I was. <laughs> man, you just turned me into
1: a nihilist. Like further, every time you come on the show, Steph.
3: security nihilism.
0: <laughs> well, so like about the XSS that they're talking about in Slack, where it's like XSS isn't like I. That's a, a whole other argument for a different day. Which I I love that we're having it about like XSS in many contexts is not that big of a deal, but like just an example of like the the whole risk assessment slash threat model, however you want to look at it. And like the uh, early on in the development, I mean, one thing that's interesting on that note um, is for one, if you're doing it upfront, it's very easy to say like use a CSP, use a paved path for a templating language, something like that, or things like that to like sort of reduce the likelihood of XSS being introduced or lessen the impact if it is introduced but like later on in the like this if we try if it had already been developed and we tried to go back later one thing we're seeing um, internally is that we've actually had to go and say okay this is your design plan um, starting from the beginning and Here's how the latest web specs look. And we've gone to the working group, the people that like Mike, like Mike West, for instance, who runs like sort of the, the 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 working group for for browser standards. And we've actually had to go back and ask, like, okay, this is our understanding of the the web standards as they exist today in browsers and how they're implemented. Is this accurate? And then we have to go back to the developers and we'll say, okay, early on in the design lifecycle, maybe we iframe this, we use a cross Site post message to set a cookie, which can be done again, didn't realize until we asked um <laughs> and like yeah, and just how you know like how what's the best way to use like we'll say post message to to go back and forth, and these are architecture design decisions uh that like you're trying to stave off the and lessen the impact of. Something like XSS or whatever it may be, right? Well, when you try and do that later, what we found is the architecture is so drastically different from the way you would have recommended it be built, and using the latest web and it not using the latest web sta- security web standards to so sort of like prevent these and lessen the prevent these issues and lessen their impact. That like it's it's very it's almost like we would have to redo so much in these applications if we came in later. That I don't know. It would be it would be a whole other development effort altogether. It would be like a ver. It would be like a rewrite version two. And it's just the money and the time sink. And the then at that point too, then you've got other specifications or other issues that are not technical in nature. Like your organization's like, hey, this thing's already out the door and it's working and people are using it. Um, you're just gonna have to work within what hours we can dedicate to security. So it's it's such a bad thing for you to try and go back and do that later. It's not possible. It's just so hard. And those are just a few reasons why. That's what I was trying to add to that.
2: Yeah. Well, and then yeah. at point. that point, the business is now stuck accepting a level of risk they may never have wanted to accept in the Risk <laughs> except everything. <laughs> I mean, and that's, yeah. that's an interesting thing because we, especially from a security perspective, I mean, if we try and translate our efforts into the business side, the earlier we help with things, Uh, the better return on the investment there is, right? So there's less of a cost because we've had this and this is a pet peeve of mine and I've been trying to figure out how to solve it, but I have not had the capacity to is we haven't really done a study since NIST did in 2001 about the actual costs of software defects at different stages in a life cycle. And that was absolutely done on the waterfall life cycle. Mm -hmm. I'd be really curious to see how that's changed in 2020, 2021, you know, whenever we can get one, but those studies are like ridiculously expensive and long running to be able to actually get real legitimate data for. But so we know just inherently from working in this industry that the longer it takes you to find a problem, the more expensive it costs because the farther back you have to go to try and address it. So a design flaw is way more expensive to eventually fix than an implementation bug where if you've just simply transposed a couple lines of code that's created a logical flaw and a vulnerability, that's a whole lot, relatively speaking, it's a whole lot cheaper and simpler to fix than if you designed the app in a way that, like, there's no way you can attach controls to it later. Um, And so it's interesting to where the earlier we can get something like threat modeling to influence the design, the way, the much more cost save, potential cost savings you have in the future. Um, but again, it's really tough to strike that balance.
0: Yeah, it is. And like, I can tell you that there's a lot more friction if you try to go back later and not like, um, it's not, it's not because anybody's like doing it in bad faith. It's just like, literally it's, hard and expensive and like what can you do you know you can just try and shim shim in like i've got this app that i hate i hate this app it's been around for like two years i've been trying to get it murdered and it still gets added to and it's just a good example of like an app that didn't use a paved path it didn't really like go through us it just kind of came online and you know that that's i mean it came through us eventually but not early on enough so um there are some issues with it and it's just like, man, if I could just burn that thing down, my life would be so much better. I got a bug bounty about it today. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's just like one of those things that you have, you do really have to like try and focus on getting that done early. I think I'm experiencing the pain of not doing that. So currently.
3: The thing I just linked to is, is DOD's attempt to fix this, to fix these processes. Uh, DOD now has this uh, cyber security maturity model certification uh, CMNC we, we've had a few customers ask if Brian and I can actually run these sorts of assessments for them so we, we're seeing this sort of thing flow in and um, it, and in fact outside of government these are these are not like you know we don't deal with with government organizations very frequently so this is but this is one of the better standards or one of the newer standards I should say for for trying to assess and cut off some of those inefficiencies that we see and and bring them earlier in the cycle, make move them left to boom, like shift left, all those like fancy things that people like to say, you know. But CMMC is a, is, is like DoD's attempt to, to fix this sort of thing, and and there are processes and whatnot in place that people are trying to do here. I link to their like public briefing about the whole thing, but pe- like this is a serious thing in government, obviously. But these are these are things that we're seeing private organizations struggling with, and they come to us and they're like, look, we need something this is a thing that exists do you think you can help us with this so we we see it frequently quite frequently and cmmc is super interesting as well there there is some good stuff in that so
0: yeah i i was reading the briefing real quick it's um it's pretty much it just seems like it's pretty much trying to explain like here's our um here's why we're recommending this framework and here's what it's supposed to address. Um, it's not like a, for anybody that reads that link, it's not a super lengthy presentation. It's like 15 slides. Um, it's interesting. I think they cover a lot of the things we talk about, like configuration management, asset mm-hmm. management, awareness and training situation. It's all, and you know, again, you guys mentioned holistic. This seems like it's a attempt at having sort of a holistic approach to.
3: Yeah. The, to this effort the other interesting side is the Navy actually has uh, cools and cools actually is, is fascinating to me because it has nothing to do with processes or whatnot. It's actually the people that you should hire at certain maturity levels, which is a fascinating concept to me because it's like, it's th- that's something that we we've literally been talking about. Like who runs all of this stuff all of the time. And the Navy actually has a framework that like you can go through and be like, Oh, I'm at this level. I need to hire someone who does, Incident response or whatever it is there, so it's it's an it's an interesting idea.
0: Yeah, like again, Seth and I have talked about this in the source code or secure code review course, where it's like um, people people are asking us questions, and we, we we get to that point too, where we're like, wait a second, what do you, what all are you guys? What all are you doing? Like, why are you, why are you so focused on appsec? You know, like wait, so what are you, what all are you, your AppSec team's doing, like how many things and like, where so do you have CERT, do you have ops? do you have stuff like that? It's like people want to hire like say an AppSec person because they're like, we build a website and that's our main revenue and then, but they forget like, you know what there's developer laptops and nope. sales laptops and little iPads that you got to keep track of and, you know, there's basic security hygiene you have to have and like you have to have key, key cards to get into your office. And so you need physical. And it's like, did you, it's just like, that was the thing they thought they needed the most. And it's like, man, you're they're you're missing some, some, some pretty like basic security hygiene. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Like knowing your, I guess, knowing your needs and profiling yeah. your business accurately is like the lesson there
1: that's a, that, that's at a higher uh pay grade than most of us are at right like, That that's supposed to be CISO or whatever level but yeah <laughs> I mean you're absolutely right stuff. though what I do see
3: this stuff so it's yeah. at my point <laughs> yeah
1: well you like oh, no, I no, mean you you two are
0: kind of and I, and even you know Brian was at one point too I mean you're basically outsourced CISOs at times you really are yeah are right because people are asking you They're maybe they don't have a full time and they like ask you to come in and again it's like that we don't really know what we need and i'm sure they call you in and they're like tell us what we need tell us what advice i mean you're a consultant mm-hmm. so you yeah. play you kind of do play that role
2: yep
1: yep, Absolutely. yep. The, fir- the first question is always what do you have and they say we don't know and you're like oh good oh good this is going to be fun yeah <laughs> Well, yeah. we have a website. Oh, good. Yeah. Thanks.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Like, we'll get you your access to your uh, to our
3: GitHub or whatever. <laughs>
1: yeah. You, you need root, AWS root account, right? Yeah. Yep. yep you're right.
3: Yep. One of my favorite examples of that is Brian and I were on an assessment at the company we all worked at before. And uh, a client gave us a list of networks that they own. And through OSINT and other things, we found like almost three times as many Networks, as they like. I'm not talking about hosts. I'm talking about networks. <laughs> networks, like, like they they just owned all subnet. These, they had no idea. They were like, yes. oh, it's not an asset management. It's not anything that we we like understood. Like, oh, good catch. And I'm like, what do you mean you're paying? Like, someone had pays for this every year. Like, you know, these are direct IP allocations. Like, you must know this
2: stuff. And we're like, yeah, you know. Now we got to secure it. You know. Well, and we've...
0: Yeah, like, man, security software. at, like, those large organizations feels so oh, yeah. daunting. Oh, yeah.
2: It, it's major. But, I mean, like, looping back on a maturity model, which I've played with with Sam and then CM, or CMMC and looking at stuff like that. And then you look at for threat modeling. So I've been trying to help somebody figure out how to have a maturity model in architecture. Like or in threat modeling. But if you really come down to it, the, the, I think part of the reason why it's so hard is like, how do you define a good design completely separate from security? Mm-hmm. How would you define a good application design? It's there's no simple answer to it. Yeah. Like I mean what you, you'll, you'll what know it you when you it see, it, 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 see it, it? it. Yeah, I don't know. Yep. You know, what are you trying to get it to be able to do? Like what how do you know something is a good design? I mean, I've got books on it, and they still dance around.
3: yeah, I mean, concrete semantics, certified programming with dependent types. like I have whole academic texts by like very smart people on on figuring these things out, you know
2: because I mean, it, it is there there's pros and cons to every design decision you make, and this is completely separate from security. So yeah. trying to de- even trying to in the general idea of an application architect with no knowledge of security, what is a good design is still an incredibly difficult problem to answer. And when we just mess it up with security.
1: yeah, well, yeah, yeah. then uh, yeah, we step in and basically you know screw it up so they have to redesign around what we've yeah. chosen as our. Are good security. And again, it goes back to what's good security design, right? Like on top of that.
2: Look at Intel's processor design. Yeah. It was a good design for performance. The the read ahead and the caching and all the stuff that the security people have now gone and poked massive holes in. Yep. What was, you know, one way that you could have designed to improve performance and it's what they had picked. But in a holistic perspective, they made some trade-offs that came to light later. And it may be that they didn't, They I have no idea if they had any inkling that you could do something like this. And they're like, I hope nobody notices because I've had been part of those discussions with apps and app architecture. They're like, well, let's just hope nobody realizes that we actually gave you the capability of doing this. But it, it's a pile of trade-offs.
1: Yeah. I I mean everything is nowadays, right? And I don't know. Like we we've been we've been talking for quite a while. (laughs) Surprisingly
2: enough, right? As always, and
1: we haven't solved anything. You guys, you were supposed to solve threat modeling for me, and now I was on the agenda. I mean, I can can No, 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 I put it on there.
3: I can solve it. You have to like write full specifications in in whatever spec language that you want. You have to f- have a full design requirements. Developers need to be empowered, but also abstracted from security domains such that they, they don't actually have to worry about like CSP and those sorts of things. I mean, I, we can solve all these things. It's just no one wants to actually pay for solving those. It, yes, it's very that's expensive. True. Yeah, it's, it's
2: solvable. solvable. <laughs> it's totally <laughs>
1: tractable.
3: Like this isn't an intractable problem. It's just like it's very expensive, <laughs> you know?
1: I mean, <laughs> Which is why the government agencies are able to do it, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, honestly, it has to mature to the point where it's less art, more science.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and we're, we're not there yet, right? Like, No, and no, we're, we're not, just not.
2: And app development's an interesting animal. I mean, look at the new number of new languages, much less frameworks, much less anything that we tend to generate every year because for whatever reason, somebody decided that they wanted make a better version of something but start all over not like focus on a certain core set of core technologies and then improve them we've decided that we're just going to start over and over and over and over and you wonder why we can't secure anything
3: i have like 45 languages that i've designed and i I think five of them are in production (laughs) i have no idea what you're talking about brian (laughs)
1: yeah and you're working on a 46. It's going to solve yeah. all those problems. Yeah, naturally, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it'll be Is when you. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah,
2: I mean, security was hard 15 years ago when the primary languages in an enterprise was Java and .Net.
1: And
3: Java has JML. Java yeah. has great tools for it. And no one like, and they're ancient. It's one of the most studied languages, and we have solutions for all of these things, and yet, like, no one uses them. <laughs> it's
1: because Java's the worst, right? I mean, <laughs> right? Or whatever, right? Yeah.
3: Ah, yeah. Gosh. These are all tractable problems, but no, like, it's 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 just time and money. No one wants to to put it in, put it in the. Effort.
0: I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but I think it has more to do with the organizations that make those language choices, but.
2: There seems to be a certain
0: type of organization structure and culture that gravitates towards certain frameworks like .NET, and Java, and uh, in Scala.
3: (laughs) Uh, What's wrong with Scala? (laughs) How much time
1: do we have?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, or they go towards what we call lovingly hipster frameworks, and there's a very big deviation between the two cultures. Yep. But that's probably a topic for another day, just like... <laughs> we should talk. Oh,
2: should that would be... On languages. It'd be hilarious to just go through, like, the uh, Stack Overflow language... ...annual, like, language um, survey report thing and just talk about them. Because I've had um, I had a vendor come to me they're like, we don't see a ton of Python in production. I'm like, I hope not. Yeah. It's not something you want to build very large production apps on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it works great for a lot of things, but that's not one of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, there's certain things it works great for. And um, that's, I guess maybe that's what the, what it comes down to is those choices are made. But I don't like, we. oh well, my God, I don't want to go down the path. I don't want to go down that because
3: we're going to be out here for another hour. We should, oh, have, yeah. a, we should, we should have a whole... We should have a whole episode just about languages.
2: Oh, golly. I wish we could choose languages based on the pros and cons of the language, but we all know we choose languages because whoever is in charge of choosing the language felt comfortable with one or another.
3: I, yep. And I obviously have very extremist views on this, being a yeah. person with like a programming language theory background, but I, I also think very frequently it's because we, we don't have tooling and uh good understanding of languages either there's no real reason to to have to stick to any one language per se uh but we just don't have very good we don't have very good tools for reasoning about things even though uh you know poplog was in the the 70s and open vms had solutions to this from the beginning but we we just we we haven't taken those ideas further but i i'll leave my extremism for another another time
1: <laughs> yeah I, I think we're going to need to do a follow up episode on you know we ruin all the languages everywhere. And, well, and this is why. Pro. Yeah.
0: Yes. What? That's why I wanted Stefan to do that keynote. Yeah. yeah. Exactly.
1: So so yo so sign up for Midsummer Nights Con as soon as it's available so you can as hear as soon as we about have a
0: sign up page sign up for it. it
1: as soon as we have a sign up page it'll it, it'll watch this space right it's coming it's coming no, it'll <laughs>
0: cost you zero of dollars zero to of dollars.
3: attend the conference. Yeah, we will. Uh, we should have that out today. We should also have the the uh, like author information uh, sign up out today as well. Cool. So. Sweet. But yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about with languages and design and that sort of stuff as well. And and I do and I don't want to say that it's Sapir Wharf, right? Like the notion that your language limits the ideas that you're able to express. But there, there's certainly a level of elegance for you know star double double dagger. Uh, that you can express in languages there and, and that that cascades through the design. Um, you know we 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 can talk about Scala and whatnot, but there there's definitely there's definitely design choices in the language that cascade up that we see over and over again. You see it in Go. I mean there's all sorts of stuff in Go that Bobby, Bobby Tonic, we we did a talk at GitHub on on Go security. And like those those semantics cascade up into application level issues continuously. So mm-hmm you know?
2: Well, and that's another thing that we're not terribly good at that I wish we were better at, is language specific security.
3: Oh, yeah.
0: Well, I, I think OWASP tried with their language specific and framework specific cheat sheets. I think OWASP tried, Um, but it, it's, you know, it's volunteer. It's up to, like, I I know that I, I contribute to a Ruby or a Rails one a long time ago. And man, I haven't been hit up, hit up since to like, have updates to that thing. this must have been seven years ago or
3: something it's like that everything what's that is sappy for everything like that's they yeah. for a while ago, they were pushing like is sappy for java is sappy for dot net is sappy for javascript is sappy for p h p and then you'd you'd use one, you'd look at the cheat sheet and it'd be like, oh, it's sappy for p h p and you'd use it and it'd be like, you know. Ah, uh, they'd have a list of things that they haven't fixed yet, and like half the things you need are broken, and like the like CSRF is like, oh, actually install this thing, and yeah, it's volunteer, it's difficult, you know. Yeah, yeah, that is. Yep.
0: So, I gotta get going, gents. I hate yeah. to say it. Yeah, news, yeah. Well.
1: well, hey guys, we appreciate it. We'll we'll do a follow up at some point. Uh, we'll do Midsummer Night's Con, uh, and. Yeah. I I mean, I know we didn't solve anything, but I really didn't expect us to. I'll be honest. Um, This has been super informative and hopefully the people listening as well. Um, Yeah. Any final thoughts before we we call it for today?
3: I'm glad to see you be nihilistic about uh, (laughs) about future prospects. warms my my black little nihilist heart that you're 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 admitting that i'm gonna
1: go crawl up in a ball for about a half hour and then get back to work exactly
3: no i mean it's like a full world of potentiality out there but it's contextual it's not objective it's a subjective thing and i can insert all sorts of like you know continental philosophy terms in here but you know it's it's that i don't know brian you probably have a different view
2: (laughs) well i mean you You knew what I was playing with when I was playing at Microsoft. I was trying to, when I was working for TWC, I was trying to figure out how to actually make threat modeling accessible. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to play with, okay, so if we took the two things that we are best at for communicating as humans, and that is telling a story and drawing diagrams, can we open that up to people just in general? Is there a way to do it that's not like this, Because, I mean, there's some tools and there's a lot of drop-down boxes and things. And humans suck at providing information into web forms. We just are. We're terrible at it. It doesn't strike our creativity and we don't divulge any information that way. But you go ask a person, tell me why you're proud of your application. Tell me your story about your app. They will tell you all sorts of things under the sun because that engages the creativity process in them. And they want to share with you what they're very proud of doing or not proud of doing that they hope somebody fixes at some point. So I was playing with the idea of trying to between natural language processing and HoloLens trying to do virtual threat modeling, um, which is still something on my back burner that I still think about. And then I want to integrate it with FAIR which is that framework for for doing some level of risk assessment between security and try and put it in business terms and i still have all the stuff from that and i still want to chase it one day um, but it's just it is a difficult problem that we obviously have not found answers to judging by where we are in the industry with it Yep. And so it's not it's not something like oh yeah you know if four people would just take three months we could totally solve this. It's nowhere near that class of problem. Mm No.
1: Yeah. I I mean it's not going to solve anytime soon, right? Like it's more for right now contextual. Like Stefan's saying, like you got to solve it for the place that you're at, the org that you're in, the problem that you're trying to solve, and then you know hopefully at some point we'll we'll be able to do the greater. Know, threat modeling panacea, I guess, at some point.
2: Oh, I mean, I always uh, theorized if you could get threat modeling to the point where you could actually have threat model diagrams that were consistent through like uh, a- application inventories, you had consistent naming, you knew who talked to who on one hops, all of a sudden it would be consumed by business impact analysis. And on all of the other disciplines, because all of a sudden they'd have some legitimate system that would tell you how everything interacted with each other. Yeah. Which is like a holy grail that we don't have anymore. We don't have at this point either. Nope.
1: Well, yeah, it's. I mean, it all goes back to asset inventory at some point, right? Like and how like communication happens. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we'll get there, I guess. Maybe. Maybe. Or not, or not, and we'll just continue to put a bandaid over it like we're currently doing. Um, well, good. Uh, yeah. So, catch us online. We'll post uh, this within the next, you know, few hours um, on all the different podcast platforms. Kenny, uh, can you th- Ken, anything last minute before we wrap up for today? <laughs> Kenny, Kenny. <laughs> nope.
0: thank you for Kenny. your time. Kenny, yeah. Kenny
1: bag Ginger, whatever you want to call me. He responds to lots of names.
3: Commander Johnson.
1: Okay. All right. Well, uh, Steph and nice Brian, one. appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll catch you guys online. And, yeah, thanks, everybody, for joining today. Thanks for the discussion. It's been super interesting. Sounds great. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. All
2: right.